Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Awesome. Well, I'm obviously not Brian, um, but I did try to imitate his hairdo, so I'm on my way towards a, a completely bald head. So that's what we're, we're going for. Um, it's kind of funny to me that I'm up here today, and I'll tell you why I think it's pretty funny, because a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe a month ago, repeatedly, uh, Brian has asked me if uh, I wanted the opportunity to preach again before I, we PCS, so we have, uh, we're on our way to Germany here in the next few weeks or so, month or so. Um, and, I, and, you know, I don't know if you've, if you've been in the military or known people in the military, moving's a big deal, it's just a lot of work to do. And uh, it gets overwhelming. There's about a million logistics to work out on how do you get from point A to point B. And so I was like, no, you know, it's, I'm pretty busy right now, and uh, it's just a lot to deal with. So not really, you know, my head wasn't in it. And so, so that was the plan, not going to do it. Um, and then so here, here we are, and, and he asked me again last week, and I was like, well, big thing here is I don't mind preaching. I just don't have time to put the prep, in, you know, the preparatory time into preaching. You know, I like to take a few weeks and really get into it, get into commentaries, uh, get all my things together to uh, share the word. And I didn't have that time, so I was like, unfortunately, I just don't think it's going to work out. And then it's yesterday afternoon, and I'm playing guitar in my house, just basically wasting time. And uh, text goes out and says, hey, uh, I'm sick. I can't preach tomorrow. I need one of y'all to, to preach. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, I'm just wasting time here. And, uh, and so the whole thing with prep time, he took care of that for me. He, uh, he gave me a few hours. So it's all good. So it's pretty funny that I'm here. Um, coincidence? Probably. Probably a coincidence. No, I don't know. We'll see. So it's exciting to be here, though, and uh, one more time to uh, have the opportunity to open God's Word with you and, uh, and learn from it. Uh, so in the future, if you're ever called to preach at some point in uh, short notice, I feel like you just take the comfort in God's Word, and uh, if you stay in God's Word, you really don't have to create too much, and, uh, and that's going to get you where He intended it to get you. Um, so there we are. Good morning. Uh, so we will be in First Cor- or Second Corinthians, excuse me, uh, starting in chapter 5, and our text today will be chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Uh, but before we get to there, I want to set up a little bit of context from last week. Just repeat a few things because I think it's important as we understand what we're about to move into. Um, so as Brian was preaching last week, uh, I want to pick up in verse 9 some things that Paul was saying. He was talking about... Uh, our body here on earth, and then our, our, the tent, and then our, our heavenly building that we await so that we're going to be further clothed in the re- resurrection, um, and that we're going to have this resurrection body. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So that was Paul's goal in his ministry, that whatever he did, he would make it his aim to please God. And why? And verse 10 is very important. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So Paul's goal in his life and in his ministry was first off to please the Lord. He was never concerned about pleasing men, never as concerned. You hear it over and over in his letters. Um, But this judgment, this concept of judgment here, uh, he knew that he would appear before this judgment. And remember, Brian talked about judgment last week. He talked about uh, the, the great white throne judgment where the books are opened before all men and all their deeds are recorded in them. 
And then he talked about for believers, what book is open for believers? Do you remember from last week? What was it called? The Lamb's Book of Life, right. And what is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Names, right? That's all it is. It's, it's names. So believers, that's what we have to look forward to. But then we, Brian also showed us how we will also stand before judgment to receive what is due during our time here on earth. Okay, so we, get, we, we have this concept of judgment in verse 10, uh, and we'll be evaluated for what we did with regard to the kingdom with our time here as Christians. Uh, so basically, he mentioned how Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, right? That concept that what we do here on earth, storing up that treasure, will actually have a result in the end and uh, something we look forward to. And then he looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul writes here that the foundation is Christ, and each one during his work in his life and his ministry builds upon that foundation of Christ. And they either build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, right? And then uh, it will all be revealed by fire, and that which, if it's all burned up, and you have nothing left in that judgment, you escape as through fire, right? So you're saved, but you really don't have anything on the other side to show for the time you spent on life. So um, that's, that's kind of where the context of this passage. So Brian's final point was that there's a connection between what we do here and what we experience on the other side. So, uh, so we'll all stand before that judgment seat of Christ, and basically the role we played in God manifesting his glory is the basis for which we have rewards. So that is where Paul was coming from in verses 9 through 10. Okay, so for our text this morning, we're going to keep this, this idea going and see what Paul has to say further. So we'll pick up in verse 11. So in verse 11, it reads, Therefore, all those things we just talked about, the future judgment, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Okay, so the, this persuasion of others. So he talks first about knowing the fear of the Lord. So basically for Paul, his view of the judgment of Christ is what I think produced his fear of the Lord. He knew there was a time he was going to stand before God, and this basically motivated him to be faithful in his ministry. It inspired his obedience to his calling to preach the gospel faithfully, to call all people to repentance. So this is his persuasion, calling people to repentance and preaching the gospel. Second part of verse 11, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So Paul knows in his heart that he is a, he is a sincere servant of Christ, and he believes that the Corinthians, if they search their own hearts, that they will also, their conscience will testify to them how he acted before them, how he preached the gospel. He didn't take anything from them. He even worked in order to pay his own way so that the gospel would be free to them. Uh, so he knows that their conscience is going to testify of his faithfulness. Uh, and you think about just the past of, of, of his relationship with them. What did, what did Brian say? What, what was the relationship like for Corinthians and Paul? Remember, he, they had a period of rejection, right? He, he basically plants this church, and they reject him uh, because other folks had come in and said, well, look at Paul. His life's miserable. He, he suffers. He's always, you know, swimming in the ocean because his ships sink. 
Uh, he's constantly getting beaten. He's being stoned, uh, being persecuted. And besides that, he's not even a good speaker. He doesn't even speak well. He's not eloquent. So Paul is basically has this rough relationship with the Corinthians. Uh, so he's, but he knows that he acted uh, in a holy way before them. Then in verse 12, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. So remember, when Paul came to the Corinthians, if we turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, right in chapter 2, he says that when he went to the Corinthians, he didn't come to them with lofty speech or wisdom. But instead of, of sounding smart, of using humanly wisdom, he came with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Because he wanted the Corinthians' faith not to rest in his ability to publicly communicate and persuade them uh, in the way of men, but he wanted them to be uh, saved by the power of God alone. So he, he preached a simple gospel to the Corinthian church. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And additionally, uh, outward appearance. How did Paul's outward appearance look like to the people around him? Would they characterize him as someone successful? Or did he live a pretty miserable life of suffering a lot of the time? It was definitely hard, right? He had a hard life. Uh, so he's, he's telling them he wants them to have a reason to boast about them so they can answer those that would accuse them. In verse 13, Paul writes, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we, are in your, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. So what Paul's saying here is, however he appears to people outwardly, whether he's crazy or whether he's in his right mind, he does it for the sake of God and for the sake of people. So he's basically got one mission in his life, to live a life faithful to God Uh, Whether that makes him look like a fool or not, he's living that life faithfully for God and for his church. In verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So when Paul says here, for the life of Christ controls us, what he's really saying here, I think, is that he's yielded up and handed over his life to God. He's given over control of it all. He's given it all over to God. So, so why, why does he do this? Why does he take this drastic step of, of really no longer determining the course of his life? And his conclusion is right in this verse, because Jesus died for all. And because Jesus died for all, all have died. Okay? Jesus died for all and all have died. So why then Why did Jesus die for all? And we find the answer right here in verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So if if they don't live for themselves, who are they supposed to live for? Yes, so we, we get it here that for the sake of him... Uh, who, who, was, who died and was raised. So Paul, this is how Paul sees his life. Christ died for him, and therefore when he lives, he lives for the sake of, of him who died for him. 
So that is Paul's life. He recognizes that if he died with Christ and was given new life in Christ, that he no longer has a claim on his life. He's dead. Now what lives isn't even his anymore to really, to really uh, enjoy. It's, it's basically he has a purpose now that is completely different than it was before, right? So this takes us to our main point, number one in your outline, uh, as we look at the life of Paul. The main point is if we died with Christ and now live, we no longer have a claim on our own life. Whoops, that doesn't match my point number one. Okay, well, that's my point number one. Oh, I forgot that one. I'm sorry. I'm behind. So Paul, Paul's fear of the Lord inspired his uh, obedience to his calling. already missed that one. Um, and then if we, if we have died with Christ and now live, we no longer have a claim on our own, own life. Okay, so there's our point number two. All right, so Paul explains this idea a little bit more in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20, uh, of how he no longer really uh, has a claim on his own life. He writes in Galatians 2, chapter 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's saying, I have been crucified with Christ, and now this life he lives, it's no longer him. It's no longer him, it's no longer his, and everything now has to do with his faith in the Son of God. Uh, and this is, this is where his new direction is. So think of this. Before we were saved by God's grace, um, we all lived just like the world around us, didn't we? Um, to various extremes that we see, it, see out there, but I think what it comes down to is we all before Christ, we live for ourselves in whatever that, that means. It means a bunch of things. It could be, you know, we lived a life of pride. That, you know, I am the determiner of my own destiny. I have the freedom to do what I want. Uh, could be idolatry of various forms, right? Could be drug abuse, sexual immorality, uh, anything else, right? There's whatever we came from. Uh, we were just like the world around us. Now think of this as well. Those who are perishing today, those who are perishing, they continue to live for themselves, just like they always have done. So now, you know, we, we realize we've been set apart, we've been called to a, to a holy calling, but those around us continue to do what we used to do, don't they? So that same life, uh, and their death and judgment is still to come. So that's kind of one camp, those, those who continue to do that. And number two, think of, think of who we are now. Who are we as God's people we're those who were bought with a price. And I'm, that bought with a price phrase I'm, I'm taking from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. We were bought with a price, and what was that price that we were bought with? It's the blood of Christ. So we were bought with a price, which was the blood of Christ. Therefore, we cannot and should not continue to live as we did before in our old manner, can we? You're bought with a price by God. So therefore, we're, not, we're no longer free to do as we used to do, are we? Uh, so we, we, we must live to God. So uh, our point, I think our point number two, or three, excuse me. I mislabeled them. Those who are bought by the blood of Christ cannot and should not live as they did before. 
Now, when we think of Paul's life here, are we, are we talking about conduct? Did Paul live a life of terrible conduct, disobedience to the law? Not necessarily. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees, wasn't he? I mean, he was far exceeding those of his, of his uh, I don't know, his grouping, right? Um, and, of course, he did persecute Christians, uh, so that was, that was terrible. But I think ultimately here, when we think about not continuing to live as we did before, we're not talking simply about a change in conduct. Sure, the gospel should have a, a tangible result in our life, a change of, of conduct. But I think ultimately more, especially when we look at the life of Paul, it's not a change in conduct, but it's a change in purpose. You see that change in purpose in Paul's life, right? Uh, he had a brand new purpose, uh, and, and so for us, we should have a brand new purpose. And that purpose now is God. It is Christ versus ourselves. So we're turning it from a, a life pursuing ourselves and the promotion of self, and we're turning it into a, a life in the pursuit of God. That is our, our new purpose. So that was your next point. So this is not simply a change in conduct, but a change in purpose, which would include some conduct as well, right? So Paul, he knew he was bought with a price. He knew he was bought by Christ. And now he recognizes that he is Christ's slave. He is a slave of Christ. If you think about uh, the nature of our salvation, if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, he writes this about the Ephesian church, but no doubt he, he identified with this. Uh, but be, before being saved, he and all of us, we followed the course of the world, didn't we? We were just like the world. But now uh, he walks, we walk, in the good works that God has prepared before us. So God had a purpose when he saved us. Um, obviously, we're going to glorify God, but he's even created these good works for us to walk in. And that's what Paul recognizes. That's why he has this dramatic shift. That's why he lives this life that is uh, so, so radical uh, for Christ, right? So that is why, in the end, in verse 14, how he can say the love of Christ controls him, okay? Love of Christ controls him. In verse 16, because of all that, from now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Okay, this, this, this word, according to the flesh. Um, so what Paul's saying here is, after he experienced this new life, he experienced this new purpose, he basically no longer looks at people and regards them or evaluates them or values them on the base of, of worldly standards. So let's talk about worldly standards in the flesh. Like, how do we, how do we look at people today and assign value or or worth to them, or how does the world do it? Uh, you know, we can look at things such as money, right? If you, if you have a lot of money, you've obviously done something well, and so we're going to pay special attention to you. Or success, you have a successful life. Uh, and, and when you have that successful life, uh, you know, you, you've done a great job, and so you're going to get uh, attention and notoriety. Or power. Uh, we look at other ways we characterize people, versus like race, or sex, or education, beauty, nationality, where you come from. All these ways we like to break people up and, and make little camps, right? And how we assign value based upon that. Uh, but Paul, now he says, I no longer uh, regard anyone according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Okay, so what's Paul saying here? 
He regarded Christ according to the flesh at one time. This is before he knew Christ, and he, he evaluated the life of Christ, the man of Christ, and saw nothing but a, a false teacher leading the world astray, right? Leading, leading all Jerusalem after him. Uh, and it takes that dramatic experience of God for him to uh, be illuminated, for him to see Christ for who he really is. Um, but now, since that has happened, uh, he no longer sees people like that. In verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That is our next point. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And we'll, we'll flush that out here in a second. But basically now when Paul looks at the people around him, he sees two groups. He sees, as it says here in uh, the second half of, of verse 17, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So I think when Paul really looks at people at the deepest uh, part of them, he sees the old or the new. At one point, we're all old, right? We're all old, we're all in the flesh yet. Uh, but then we have um, this newness, this newness, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. So the old and the new. In verse 18, all this, this new creation, the new, has come from, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So let's look at this, this newness of life. Let's look at this new creation. So what does it mean to be a, a new creation? Uh, a couple things come to mind here really quick. You may recall from the Gospel of John, Jesus meeting with Nicodemus in the nighttime, and they're discussing, uh, you know, Nicodemus asks him, you know, we know that you're from God, you're performing all these amazing things. Um, and, then, and then Jesus ends up telling him that basically, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit. So that's really what it means to have the new creation. All of the world, all people are born of the flesh, obviously, we're here, Right? We're all born of the flesh, but Jesus said we need a new spiritual rebirth to be born of the the Holy Spirit. And so that is what the new creation is. We're going to cover some text as well, too. Can we go to Ephesians chapter 2 really quick? So Ephesians is going to be to the right, not too far. If we get to Ephesians chapter 2, I'm just going to read this. And kind of go kind of quick, but just pull out a couple main, main points of this. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll start in verse 1. Paul writes here to the Ephesian church. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
So I want to talk about this, this new creation that we see here. First off, I want to point out the source. What is the source of this new creation? Uh, when we're back at uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, it tells us plainly that the source, it says, all this is from God. So God is the source. It is, is his work. The spiritual rebirth is his work, not necessarily our work. Okay? We participate, we enjoy it, we experience it, but primarily God is the source of this work. What is the means of this new creation? It says here that all this is from God, who through Christ, okay, Christ is the means of this new creation. It's through Christ. And what is the result of this, this new creation? The result is that who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Okay, so that's the whole goal of what God is doing in redemptive history. He's, he's, he's reconciling a people to him. He's saving a people for himself. That's what he's doing. And then finally, the effect of, of this new creation is that what Paul writes out, he reconciled us to himself and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that was what, what, what it meant to be the new creation. Uh, probably a lot more we could say about it as well, but it is the spiritual rebirth that God produces within us to reconcile a people to himself. And as we see now, there's, there's work to do. There's a ministry of reconciliation. And let's look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So in verse 9, and it's kind of a repeat, we find out that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So let's, let's talk about that reconciliation and everything God had to do, and not everything, just some main points of what God, what that meant, how God carried out that reconciliation. First off, we have the eternal son, right? The son of God, second person of the Trinity. God. We had the incarnation. This was the, one, the big first thing think he did. The Son becoming flesh. You can look at John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among men, right? So that incarnation, Jesus became flesh. Another aspect, Jesus was the sinless lamb without blemish. Reference 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. He was a sinless lamb. And as he lived his life, and he started his ministry, preaching about the kingdom, uh, we know in the end that his blood was poured out for us. Reference Mark chapter 14, verse 24. Jesus at the Last Supper said, uh, this is my blood poured out for the new covenant, okay, for all of us who would believe. So his blood was poured out for us. Part of his work of reconciliation. Jesus also took the punishment due us upon himself. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It reads that he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So we have the blood poured out, punishment for our sin, and then we, we know also that he will, he will raise us up on the last day, which was uh, one, of his, one of the final things he did here as far as that reconciliation. I want to read uh, John chapter 6, verse 38 through 40, which I think captures us pretty well. John 6, 38 through 40. Jesus is speaking here, and he's talking about his mission, why he's here, what, what he came to earth to do. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So that last, that last sentence, that's the will of God that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes that they would have eternal life and they will be raised with Christ. So that, that is, I think, uh, in the big picture, uh, the extent of this, this reconciliatory work that, that God did. So main point, next main point, God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. Okay, and then as Paul says also in, in verse 19 at the end, um, he says, and after that reconciliation, his, his own sins weren't counted against him, that he was entrusted with the message of reconciliation. So this is what Paul's mission is, and this is why all the way back to the beginning of our passage, verse 11, why he persuades others, because he's been given this message of reconciliation, so therefore he's just being faithful to that calling of of preaching this reconciliatory uh, message to uh, the people around him. So that's Paul's life. That's, that's Paul's mission. Okay, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Okay, so an ambassador. Does anyone know what an ambassador is? Representative. I actually looked it up because I'm not that smart. Um, I mean, I know what they do. I know we have ambassadors to this country and that country. Uh, the, the dictionary definition is an, an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. Okay, so there you go. Um, now you, you know it word for word. Okay, but Paul, he says that him and Timothy, they were ambassadors of Christ. And so what this means, and to kind of change it, Paul is, he's, he's accredited, sure, he's an apostle, right? God called him to bring this message. Uh, and who is he sent by? He's not sent by, by a nation, he's sent by who? He's sent by God, he's sent by Jesus. To represent him, yes, and uh, Jesus is basically making his appeal to the world around him through Paul. So that's why Paul is an ambassador. Paul is an ambassador. So, okay. My next main point. Can you pull up that next main point? I didn't write them down in my, in my, uh, my guide. Thanks, Jimmy. Okay, next point one. Okay, not that one. 
Okay, so Paul sees his life there. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Okay? And then we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So that is ours too, not only Paul. We've been given that same ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so therefore, Paul's pleading to these Corinthians for them to be reconciled to God. Why is he pleading to them to be reconciled? They're, they're the church, right? Uh, just think of their past, though. It's been a pretty rocky road. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of rejection, and they're, they're not really all on the same page, although Brian said, like, Paul had forgiven them, but maybe in their hearts they don't even have a pure conscience, you know, 100% about where they stand with Paul. Uh, so he's basically pleading to them. He wants them to be reconciled to God. He, he, he doesn't want them uh, to doubt the message that he's preaching or his love for them. So he wants them to be reconciled. Okay, so let's look at verse 21 now, this reconciliation. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Okay, so that's speaking of Jesus, right? He had no sin. We already talked about that, but God made him to be sin. Uh, let's look at this a little bit more in, in uh, Isaiah. So this is going to be a common passage for you, but um, it's going to be familiar, but it includes a lot of this, this lingo where Paul probably is taking this from. Isaiah chapter 53 and I'll pick up in verse 4, and I'm going to read a little while, through 12. Uh, but let's just talk about that. Uh, just keep in mind that how God made him to be sin. And let's see how this passage kind of showed that. It says in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray, we have turned, everyone, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before the, its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So I think we see a lot of familiar language there in Isaiah that we get in this concept of 2 Corinthians where God made him to be sin 
who knew no sin. And why did he do that? Because he was, he was working for us. He was working healing uh, for our sake. Uh, that concept, this, this concept is, is the doctrine of justification. So what happens here is that when Christ became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteous of God, we know we're not righteous. We look in our hearts and we even now see the sin that's within us. We're not righteous. Uh, so let's talk about how this works. So when Jesus died on the cross, God imputed or assigned our, our sin to him. So our sin basically rested upon him. And what happened then to Christ? What was that? God's wrath being poured out against the sin, right? He took, he took our sin upon himself. And the exchange that then happens is his righteousness that he had is imputed to us. Christ's righteousness uh, is then imputed to our account. And therefore, since we are now righteous in Christ, we can be forgiven and declared as righteous. So our legal standing now before God has changed because of the work that Christ did for us, that he paid the debt for our sin, and his righteousness now uh, is upon us. So not only are we forgiven and declared as righteous, but we share in his life. So I want to look at another passage really quick. This would be Romans chapter 5. And Paul kind of packages this very nicely with a few more details. So Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. Paul's flushing out this idea a little more. He writes, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So in this passage, we see a few things. One, that we are justified, declared righteous by his blood, and, and that results in us being saved from the wrath of God. Jesus took that wrath upon himself. We are also reconciled to God through Jesus' death. And then finally, what we're not really, um, we, we see it in 2 Corinthians that says that we're, um, that, that we're now righteous, but Paul goes further here and says we are saved by his life. So we're saved by that. So we share in that life. So once, basically main point, once we were enemies of God, but now we rejoice in God. So then what's our part in this? Sounds like God pretty much did did it all, right? So God, God's just taking care of it for us, right? He's, he's reconciled us. He did everything we couldn't do. He, he punished this, our sin upon his own son. Uh, he poured out his wrath. Uh, the righteousness given to us, we don't earn that righteousness. That's given by God. And now we share in Christ's life. Awesome. So what's our part? It's pretty, pretty simple. We repent. We hear the message. We repent. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what Paul says in Romans 10. We believe that God raised him from the dead. 
And once again, Jesus said that about the Father's will, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and that I would raise him on the last day. That's why he came, so he could raise us on the last day. So let's look at a few application points really quick out of this text. Number one, uh, these are in your outline too. Be reconciled to God if you're not. So the Bible says that now is the day of salvation if you don't know the Lord. This day is as good as day as any to accept him, right, as your Savior. Put your faith and trust to repent, to cry out to him. And we see all the work that he's done on our behalf. We have a very small part, and that's really just yielding to him. Number two, if you are in Christ already and you are a new creation, live no longer for yourself but for God. That's a tough one, isn't it? That's what I struggle with every day. Live for God versus my own self. So that's the, I think that's part of our sanctification. That's our holiness. Putting to death our own will uh, for God. So if you are a new creation, live no longer for yourself but for God. Number three. If we have been reconciled to God, we share in the ministry of reconciliation. So you might not have known when you signed up that now you share in the ministry of reconciliation. Not only do we get to enjoy the benefits of salvation and God's mercy, but now we get to be proclaimers of that. So, um, and that takes many forms, right? In the workplace, uh, could be international missions, it could be locally, it could be with your neighbors, family and friends, right? No matter where God has placed you, uh, be, that, be that minister of reconciliation with the gospel. Number four, if we are in Christ, we are ambassadors for him to the world. So we just need to recognize that God's called us to be those ambassadors and to carry that message. Uh, number five, we've been given the message of reconciliation to share. So how are we doing in that area? And finally, number six, and I think this brings it back to Paul's motivation and why he lived in such a way that he did. Make it your aim to please the Lord, knowing that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for what he has done, whether good or bad. So that is uh, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 once again. Uh, I just pray that we would have that mindset, that we would have... Um, that spiritual insight that we will be able to keep the end in mind, keep that we are the thing in mind that we're called with a new purpose, and that a lot of these things that we chase and we pursue don't matter anymore, right? Um, I just pray that we'd have that eternal perspective and that when we get to that point, we wouldn't be as those escaping just through fire, but we would have stored up some treasure in heaven and so that we could enjoy... Uh, you know, not be ashamed when we meet our Lord.